Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody. Glad that you're here. Hope that you're having a good week. And it's always good to study in God's Word in the middle of the week as we're looking at the book of Zechariah. Good to see all of you. Those of you joining us online, we welcome you also wherever you are and however you may be joining us as we get to our seventh and eighth visions of Zechariah tonight. Title of our study is A New Day for God's People. They'd returned from the land of bondage in Babylon, and now God is restoring them to their home country again. This is such an easy book to understand, isn't it? So, But we're trying. We're getting through it. And uh, it is uh, sometimes a difficult book to interpret, but uh, we're getting through there, and I think God has good messages for us. So let's pray together. We'll get started tonight. God, thank you for your word. God, your word is power. It's life-giving. It's authoritative. And whenever your word speaks, we know that it's you speaking directly to us. So tonight, would you open up our hearts to receive what you have to say to us? We thank you, Father, for how you worked in the lives of your people and how you dealt with your people in the Old Testament. It helps us to know how you deal with us today. And Father, I thank you for Jesus, what he means to us, and how we can have eternal life through him, and that he is the only way to have a relationship with you. He's the way, the truth, and the life. May we see him even in the book of Zechariah this evening. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. Well, are you ready for your midterm exam? <laughs> next, uh, next week, we will not be having Bible study on Wednesday night. It's spring break week. We have a lot of people gone, so we usually take that week off because we have so many people out. So we'll not be having Bible study next Wednesday night, but we will two weeks from tonight pick right back up, and we'll pick up with chapter 6, verse 9, two weeks from tonight as we start looking at the crown and the temple. All right, seven quick questions. So jot them down or keep them in your head if you want to, and uh, we'll then cover the answers once I ask all seven questions. Question number one, how many visions did Zechariah see altogether? Nope, don't say it out loud. <laughs> You've got one answer. Somebody said eight. So there you got one. So you know you're not going to miss all of them. <laughs> so just don't say it out loud yet. We'll wait and get there. How many visions did Zechariah see? Question number two, how many Israelites returned to the homeland from Babylon? How many people came back to the homeland from Babylon? Question number three, in the fifth vision, what object did God say would be laid bare or made into a plain? There was something before Zechariah and God said that this object will be laid bare or made into a plain. Question number four, in the fifth vision, what was Zerubbabel holding in his hand? What was Zerubbabel holding in his hand in vision number five? Question number five, in the fifth vision, Zechariah talked about golden oil, which represented olive oil. And last Wednesday night, I mentioned to you that olive oil was used in the Bible for seven different things. Name one. That's easy, isn't it? One out of seven. I mentioned seven different things that olive oil was used for in the Old Testament and New Testament. Name one of those seven. In the sixth vision, question number six, what did Zechariah see flying through the air? What did Zechariah see flying through the air? Vision number six. And then the final question, number seven, in the sixth vision, the object that Zechariah saw measured 20 cubits by 10 cubits. 
And I talked about last Wednesday night that there are two items in the Old Testament that also measured 20 cubits by 10 cubits. Two of them, name one of them. There were two objects, two items in the Old Testament that also measured 20 cubits by 10 cubits. Name one of those two. Everybody looks a lot more serious tonight. I don't know why that is. You forgot to study or something. All right, let's look at the answers. First of all, how many visions did Zechariah see? Eight. You got one of them. So, Question number two. How many Israelites returned to the homeland from Babylon? 50,000. Wow, everybody's got that. You're doing great. Question number three. In the fifth vision, what object did God say would be laid bare or made a plain? Mountain. Perhaps it was a mountain of rocks or rubble that from the, where the Babylonians had invaded. We don't know. But he saw this mountain, and God said the mountain would be removed and laid bare. Question number four. In the fifth vision, what was Zerubbabel holding in his hand? A plumb line. Absolutely, a plumb line. Carpenters and painters use that to determine what's perpendicular and so right angles. So very good, a plumb line. Question number five. In the fifth vision... Zechariah talked about the golden oil, which represented olive oil. Name one usage for olive oil in the Old Testament. So let me give you the seven that I mentioned and you see if you got one of them. It was used for healing. It was used for uh, making food. It was used for making bread, which could be classified as food. It could be used for medication, used as a moisturizer on your skin in the Old Testament, used as an offering that was brought to God. And olive oil was also used as currency, money that they would exchange. So if you got one of those seven, you got that one correct. Everybody get one of those seven? Okay, we got quite a few that did. All right, very good. Question number six. In the sixth vision, what did Zechariah see flying through the air? A scroll or a book, a large, massive book or scroll. And then number seven, in the sixth vision, the object Zechariah saw, the flying scroll was 20 cubits by 10 cubits. Two other items in the Old Testament measured 20 cubits by 10 cubits. They were the holy place in the tabernacle or the front porch of the holy place in the temple. So if you said holy place, holy place tabernacle or the holy place in the temple, you, that is correct. So you, you could do either one of those. How many got all seven? Okay, we got some. Well, that's good. Very good. Wow, that, that's really good. All right, let's go on tonight to look at visions number seven and eight. Once again, brief background. It always helps to understand what we're looking at to give you a very brief background. God's people went to Babylon in captivity as punishment for their sins. After 70 years, God allowed them to return, but only 50,000 returned. Hundreds of thousands remained in Babylon. You think, why would they remain? Because life was easier in Babylon. They'd been there 70 years. They had jobs. They had families. They raised kids. They raised grandkids. They're all right there in Babylon. So why go back to Israel when the land is in rubble? You have no way of making a living. You have, it's going to be hard to rebuild. It's going to be hard to start over. So most of them did not go back. But 50,000 did. Mostly older went back. The younger ones stayed in Babylon. Went back. When they got there, they had to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of the temple. So, 
they started working on it. Zerubbabel was the one who rebuilt the walls. Joshua was their high priest to once again reinstitute the sacrificial system so their sins could be forgiven. After they laid the foundation of the temple and the Jerusalem, they got discouraged and they stopped working. They stopped rebuilding. Life was, it was just too hard, so they quit. And they stopped working for 18 years. After 18 years, God raised up a prophet named Zechariah to go and speak to them, prophesy to them, and tell them, number one, get back to rebuilding again. God, God wants you to rebuild the temple, wants you to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Get back to building again. Don't be discouraged. Keep going. And number two, God told them through Zechariah, your best days are ahead of you. You're thinking your glory days are gone, but your glory days are still ahead. You're going to have a Messiah come. You're going to have a Messiah come again. And Israel is going to be rulers of the entire world. The glory days of Israel are ahead, not behind you. So that the message that Zechariah prophesied in all of these 14 chapters. Now, he started prophesying through visions. Remember the difference between a dream and a vision. A dream is while you're asleep. Visions while you're awake. So one night, while Zechariah was awake, the 24th day of the month of Shabbat, we're told that in Scripture, he had all eight visions in one night. And we look, we're looking at the visions for six of them. Vision number one, vision of the horseman, comforting those who'd returned. Vision two, the four horns and the craftsman, God would punish those nations that punished Israel. Vision number three, man at the measuring line, measure Jerusalem. The glory days are coming. Vision number four, Joshua the high priest. God would, would uh, uh, cleanse him and allow him to be the, the man that he wanted him to be. Vision number five, the golden lampstand that would encourage Zerubbabel in the rebuilding of the walls. And last week, the flying scroll. Vision number six, the word of God would seek out those who broke its commands and would find them to judge them. So, let's get to vision number seven and vision number eight tonight, and then we'll wrap up. So, look at Zechariah chapter five, uh, letter A on your outline, the seventh vision, verses five through 11, a woman in a basket. Let's read it together, starting in verse five. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, lift your eyes, See what this is that is going out. And I said, what is it? He said, this is their iniquity in all the land. Uh, this is the basket that's going out. He said, this is their iniquity in all the land. Verse 7. And behold, the leaden, uh, leaden cover was lifted, and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket, thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Verse 9. Then I lifted my eyes and I saw, and behold, two women were coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. And I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? And he said to me, to the land of Shinar to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. Now, what a strange vision. Let's see if we can figure this out. All right. In vision number seven, the angel that was talking with Zechariah told him, lift up your head. I want you to see something that's leaving the country. So he 
lifted up his eyes, looked, and something was leaving the land of Israel. And he asked the angel, he said, what is that? And the angel replied, it is a basket that's going out. Inside the basket is the iniquity of the people. By the way, there are several different words for sin in the Bible. Sin, iniquity, transgression. The word iniquity is one of the stronger words used for sin. So whenever he said, in that basket is the iniquity of the people of the land, he's talking about sins that are really, really bad, the worst of the worst. So in this basket is the iniquity of the people, the sins of the people, of the 50,000 Israelites who had returned, and God wanted to purge the land of the sins that they had brought back with them from Babylon. Now, here's a question for you. What sins would they have brought back? I mean, think about it. You got, you got most of the Israelites stayed in Babylon, only 50,000 returned. You would think God would say, bless you, bless you, those 50,000 returned. I am so proud of you. Those other guys, they're just, they are, they're just all selfish and into their own lives. And you are the ones that came back and wanted to rebuild my temple and rebuild the nation I'm proud of you. It's what you think he'd said. He didn't. He said, those of you who came back, you brought way too much sin with you. And I need to get rid of it. I need to get it out of the country. What sin did they bring back? Any guesses? Idol worship's a good guess. Good guess. No. Great. No, uh, well, what was the other one? Pride, close. It was the sin of materialism. They got out of Babylon. Babylon didn't get out of them. That was the problem. In Babylon, they started to accumulate things, material things. And when they returned, they still focused on material things. And it became more important than God. It became more important than God's house. Because if you remember, God said through Ezra, you rebuilt nice homes for yourself. Mine's lying in rubble. So the material things of the world you wouldn't think would be a problem. They don't have much. But it didn't leave them. They still desired things more than God. Well, it's a good word for us, isn't it? Because sometimes we do the same. Sometimes we get more concerned with how much money we make, what we have, what kind of car we drive, how, what house we live in, what neighborhood we live in. Sometimes we get way more concerned with those things than we are with the things of God. Sometimes it can happen to you and me, well-meaning believers. And sometimes the sin of materialism comes into our heart as well. So that was their main sin. I am putting your sin, your iniquity, by the way, the word iniquity, God saw materialism as something really bad, your iniquity, I'm putting it in the basket, and I'm removing it from the land. Now, the word for basket here is interesting. Some of your translations may say ephah instead of basket. Does any of your translations say that? Okay, so, yeah, several do. I'm removing your ephah from you. What was that? 
An ephah in Israel was a unit of measure, like a gallon or a bushel. An ephah was the largest measure, the dry measure among the Israelites. It was roughly five gallons of dry material, about half a bushel. We know that from 1 Samuel 1.24 and Ruth 2.17. So an ephah was the largest dry measure among the Israelites. So what God was trying to say was, I'm you've got a lot of sins. It's taken me the largest container I can find to get them out of here. So evidently, they had brought a lot of materialistic desire back with them from Babylon. Because Babylon had a lot of nice stuff. We'll talk about that in a moment. So the largest measure they had, God used that analogy to get their sins out of there. Now, verse 7 and 8. There was a lead cover on the basket and so he lifted the lead cover off of it and there was a woman sitting in there now that's odd isn't it either that basket was massive or it was a small figure of a woman because a woman can't fit into a five gallon basket so either, remember the scroll in vision six was, was large. It was 30 feet by 15 feet, 20 by 10 cubits. So it's possible this basket could have been over-exaggerated and really large, or it could have been that the woman was small, like a figure of a woman. We don't know, but one of the two. And this lead cover would have been heavier than a customary cover for a basket. Usually an ephah was covered with a stone. Lead was heavier and so this would guarantee that the woman could not get out of the basket because she was trying to get out of there. Symbolizing that iniquity, the sin of materialism, was trying to get out and stay in the land. But God was keeping a lid on it and getting it out of there so it wouldn't affect his people. So you see the symbolism there. So not only that, lead covers were used in those days. Not stone covers, but lead covers were used in commercial transactions as you deal with another person any kind of commercial transaction you're you're buying goods or you're selling goods they would they would seal that good with a lead cover not a stone cover stone cover is easier to remove it was more like our seal today when you buy something it's sealed and so because of that there are some bible scholars that believe the sin wasn't materialism the sin was they had cheated each other in commercial deals Maybe, but it doesn't really say that in the text. So because of that, I'm a little hesitant to say that that was the sin. Now, in verse 8, the angel, when the woman sitting in the basket, told Zechariah, this woman is wickedness. And he thrust her back down into the basket, partially hidden and, and <clears throat> excuse me, placed the lead cover back on it again. Again, an imagery that the Israelites were really good at hiding their materialistic heart. But every now and then, it popped up. And they would try to hide it again, and it would pop. It sounds like you and I, doesn't it? <laughs> because we know we shouldn't value things of the world more than we do God. And so we keep it that suppressed, but sometimes that desire comes up. And so this, the woman, the wickedness 
is trying to keep coming up and they keep trying to suppress it because God was saying, your materialistic heart keeps coming out. And you try to suppress it, but you can't do a very good job of it. Now, question. Why is wickedness personified as a woman? Okay, I could get in trouble here. No, let me, let me tell you what they, why. Why? The woman personified wickedness who personified the, the sins of the people. She didn't want to be restricted. There was a conflict going back and forth. But the word, Hebrew word for wickedness is feminine. Resha, R-E-S-H-A, is the Hebrew word for wickedness. Most theologians believe because the, femi- the, the feminine is used for that word, that's why it's personified as a woman. Now, in English... We don't have objects that are either masculine or feminine. We don't do that. Many other languages do. Spanish does and others. An object may be masculine or feminine. You use el or you use la in Spanish, whether it's masculine or feminine. And, and so Hebrew was the same way. You have masculine, you had feminine. Well, the word for wickedness or evil was feminine. So because of that, most people believe that is the reason that it is personified as a woman. This isn't the only place. There are two other times in the Bible wickedness is personified as a woman. Proverbs 7, it is. In Revelation 17, it is. You know, the, the, the great harlot that's Babylon, that is all the wickedness of Babylon, is personified as a woman who's a prostitute. So here, the woman represented all the sins of Israel. And that's why it was most likely why it was a woman. Now, verse 9. Then I lifted my eyes and I saw two other women coming forward. And there was wind in their wings. The word for wind there is the exact word for the Holy Spirit. Ruah. The Holy Spirit was the one driving these two women to take this basket and get it out of the land. In the wind, it says, he saw these two women coming forward, flying through there, and they had wings like storks, these two women did. Now, why a stork? Well, there are several theories as to why the bird would be a stork. and we're, It could just say a bird, but it specifically identifies a stork. Why? Well, it could be several reasons. One is, some Bible scholars say, well, the stork had... You know, a, a mother stork has uh, motherly characteristics more so than other birds. Nah, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's a theory. So others say because storks are capable of carrying loads a long distance in flight. And if these sins were taken back to Shinar, it would be about 1,200 mile flight. So maybe it was a stork because the stork is the one that can carry goods long distances in flight. Now here's what's interesting. In the Bible, storks were very common in Israel. By the way, today storks are still very common in Israel. Jeremiah 8-7 talks about storks in Israel. But even today, if you go to Israel, um, it's known for stork watching. There are half a million storks come twice a year, once in the fall, once in the spring. 
And usually when the storks show up in Israel, it, it signals a change of seasons. Whenever we were in, there in Israel last time, we were driving up one day on the bus up to um, Caesarea Philippi in the northern part, and our tour guide says, oh, look, look at all those birds out there. And you just see fields covered in birds. You see, not just storks, there are 280 different species of migratory birds today that stop in Israel when flying from Egypt to, to Europe. And so Israel today is a paradise for bird watchers. People come from countries all around to watch the birds in Israel. It's a bird watcher's paradise. So you have a lot of storks there. Cranes, pelicans are the most popular birds that they like to watch. And the storks, because there's so many of them. And I find that interesting that there, I didn't really realize there were that many birds and storks in Israel today until we started making trips every year. We started seeing them different times of the year. That They're there. We went in December last time. That was a little late for them. But there are a lot of them there. And so here you see the stork is the one carrying the basket. Now here's something else interesting. Storks to the Israelites were and still are unclean. They're unclean birds. It's according to Leviticus 11:19, and according to Deuteronomy 14:18, they're unclean. So because of that, there are some Bible scholars that read this passage and say, ah, those unclean birds taking the basket out of here, those are demons. Those are evil spirits that are getting them out of here. Now, that's kind of reading into the passage too much. It, too much. it would be appropriate for their mission. But they may be reading into it too much. It looks like these are just angels or angelic beings God has enlisted to look like storks to carry the sin out of the land. So we have Joshua's, the high priest, filthy garments cleansed a couple of weeks ago, you remember. And now we have the wickedness, the sin of materialism that's taken out of the land. But look where they took it to. Interesting. Verse 10, I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? And he said to the land of Shinar, they're going to build a house for it and they're going to set it, the basket down on its base. Where on earth is Shinar? Shinar is another name for Babylon. Where they came from. Why did the angel just say they're taking them back to Babylon? That's what they knew the land as. Hadn't been known as Shinar for years. Why do they call it Shinar? Why don't you say Babylon? Because the name Shinar, as you do a study in Scripture of it, very interesting. Does anybody remember the first time Shinar is mentioned in the Bible? Genesis 10, one of Ham's sons, Nimrod, built the first empire in Shinar. And that's where they tried to build the Tower of Babel. That's where they tried to build a tower to reach to the heavens to usurp God, to go around God, to try to do their own thing, try to live their own lives, and not have God as a part of their lives. It didn't work. And that land was called Shinar. Shinar is mentioned eight times, seven other times in the Old Testament after that. Once um, was where it was, uh, if you remember, Abraham fought against the land of Shinar. 
And then, if you remember, when Ai took the accursed vessels, uh, and uh, or rather Achan took the accursed vessel, and Ai was defeated Israel, it's because he took a robe, and nobody knew it, beautiful robe from the land of Shinar, and he hid it. And so Shinar has always been a symbol of rebellion against God, trying to be your own God. So God doesn't say, oh, they're taking it back to Babylon. He wanted to remind the Israelites of their rebellion. They're taking your sin back to the place that's always rebelled against God. It's always been against God and his people to the land of of Shinar. So God would send this materialistic evil spirit back to its starting place where it originated from. And by the way, one day when Babylon, book of Revelation, Babylon's destroyed, then it will be destroyed as well. One other quick note, and I know we need to move on. It says at the end, it will set it down on its base there in the house. The word base there, somebody mentioned earlier over here, their sin was maybe idol worship. The word base there is the exact same word that's used in idol worship. So some scholars believe maybe the concept was the idol worship and taking all the sins back to where they worship idols to begin with. All right, let's move on. Chapter, the next vision, the eighth vision, verses six, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Vision number 8 for chariots. Verse 1, again I lifted my eyes and I saw, behold, four chariots came from between two mountains. And the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, second black horses, third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses. That's spotted. All of them strong. Verse 4, and I answered and I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, these are going out to the four winds of heaven. That's the word Holy Spirit again, wind. After presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth, verse 6, the chariot with the black horse goes toward the north country. The white one goes after them. And the dapple ones goes to the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. So they patrol the earth. Then he cried to me, behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Let's look quickly at this last vision and then we'll close. Now we come to the final and eighth of all the visions of Zechariah that he held all in one evening. None of the visions were fulfilled in Zechariah's lifetime. Interesting that he prophesied eight different things and he saw none of them come to fulfillment during his life. Verse 1, the next thing Zechariah saw in his vision was he looked up and he saw four chariots coming out between two mountains. And the mountains were made of bronze. First of all, why chariots and why bronze? Chariots, throughout Scripture, have been instruments of judgment coming from God. And bronze has been a color often associated with judgment from God. That's Exodus 27.2, Numbers 21.9. Chariots are judgments from God, bronze. So, you see this, you go immediately, these are coming out to bring judgment, God's judgment upon the earth. Bronze was also used to defend against attackers, Isaiah 45.2, Jeremiah 1.18. But 
why the, what mountain would it have been to, between these two mountains? What would have been the gateway for the judgment from God? Well, some people say, well, one of these mountains would probably be Mount Zion and the other one Mount of Olives because those are the ones in Jerusalem where he had the vision. These are the main two in Jerusalem. And so that's probably so. If you're in Jerusalem today, there's a Kidron Valley. You have two mountain ranges, Mount of Olives on one side on the east, and you have the Mount, Mount, Mount Zion on the other, the old Mount Zion of what's called Jerusalem today. So it's possible. Could have been those two. Others say, if you remember in Revelation we studied, that when Jesus comes back and he sets foot on the Mount of Olives for the second time, that the Mount of Olives will split into two, one going north and one going south. If you remember that, that is going to happen. Some believe this is a reference to the end when Jesus returns again and the mountain splits, the Mount of Olives splits in two, and then the judgment, the horror, the chariot comes out from between these two mountains. Maybe so. So maybe it's split, Mount of Olives split, or maybe it's just the two that are there that appears to be judgment that's coming out from God going to the other nations now we're told verses 2 and 3 the first chariot was pulled by red horses second chariot pulled by black horses third pulled by white horses and the fourth was pulled by dappled horses or spotted horses all of these horses were very strong are these angelic beings represented as horses maybe are these the four horsemen in revelation 6 maybe they are the same color maybe are these four chariots or the nations that are going to be judged what zechariah referred to earlier as the four nations that oppressed israel assyria babylon greece and rome maybe because that comes up again in revelation so it's possible so what about the colors? Why is one red and black and white and spotted? Well, a lot of people see symbolism in, in the colors, red being bloodshed and war, black being famine and death, white being victory and triumph, and dapple being plagues and diseases. It's possible that God was sending those horses out to accomplish those tasks. But Zechariah didn't know any more than you and I do. So he asked the angel, he said, I see all of this, but I'm confused. Interpret for me. So the angel said, these are angelic beings that are messengers from God sent out to accomplish his will. Chariot with the black horses went to the north from Jerusalem. And the chariot with the white horses Followed the one to the north. So you got black horses going north, white horses going north. And then it says the other chariot, the dappled horses, and we assume the red horses, they go to the south to fulfill judgment against God's enemies and Israel's enemies. What enemies would be in the north? Uh, well, it would be um, Assyria. That would be um, Babylon, today, you're right, Russia, China. What God's enemies would be in the south? Egypt, primarily. So it appears God was sending judgment on every nation that oppressed his people. Who started oppressing them first in Genesis or Exodus 1? Egypt. 
Who oppressed them later in the Old Testament? Assyria, Babylon. So it seems like God is here saying every, every nation that oppressed my people are going to be judged. Now, by the way, this is not just historical. Any nation today that currently oppresses his people or in the future will oppress Israel will be judged also. So I mentioned in Revelation, be careful. Be careful opposing Israel, even the nation today. God has even talked about judgment and revelation for those nations that will do that. Now, why didn't he send horses east and west? No nations ever oppressed them from east and west. Why? Well, to the west, it's Mediterranean Sea. It's water. And to the east, it's Arabian Desert. No countries live out there. No countries live out in the water. No countries live out in the desert. The only countries that ever attacked Israel came from the north and came from the south. So that's why you got four chariots, but two of them go north and two of them go south, and none of them go east and west. Because they, if you look at a map of Israel, you can see it's very clear. Nations to the north, nations to the south, water to the west, Arabian desert to the east. Nobody lives out there. So these were the nations who had oppressed his people and God was saying I am sending my judgment out every direction of those people to those nations who have oppressed my people now verse 7 when these horses or the angels went out from between the two mountains they were eager to patrol the earth anxious to carry out judgments from God we are specifically told God told them you patrol the earth you watch you watch to see who bothers my people and you go get them. So the Lord gave permission to patrol the earth and to bring his judgment. Dr. Baldwin says, from the first to the last, it is apparent that the affairs of the nations are under God's direction, not mankind's. He's exactly right. All the affairs that are going on today, all under God's control, not human's control. You look at what's going on in North Korea today. You look at a possible alliance between China and Russia. And you, everybody getting upset. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? God is in firm control. Always has been, always will be. He has those patrolling the earth. And so we still need to remember this. It's not humanity that rules and controls what's going to happen. God is the one who has it still all very sovereign over it all. So remember the horses from the first vision. And their horses from the last vision. So, notice the very last thing, and then I'll make one more point. We'll close. Verse 8, he says, My spirit will not rest, or I've set my spirit at rest in the north country. What God was saying was, My spirit is only going to rest when my enemies are judged. My enemies and my people's enemies, when they're judged, my spirit will finally exhale and be at rest. Now, to close these visions, if you remember the very first night, we talked about the eight visions. Remember, we said that these eight visions form a teaching structure in Hebrew called a chiasm. Remember that? Where one and eight correspond, two and seven correspond, uh, three and six correspond, four and five correspond. So, it's, a, it's a, like inverted like that. It's, so, it's a, it's a teaching structure. If you remember, we use the analogy of the airplane. 
at 1 and 8, you have the 30, 32,000 feet up in the air, and you're looking at the earth. Then you start to descend, and visions 2 and 7, you get a little closer, you can see the country of Israel down below. So those two relate to Israel. Then you descend a little more, and you can see not just Israel, you see the city of Jerusalem in your airplane, and these correspond to visions 3 and 6. And then you get even closer, and you, and you can see the temple within Jerusalem, and visions 4 and 5 correspond to the temple. So if you remember, now that we've looked at them, 1 and 8 were the horses, remember? The horses in the glen, verse 1, uh, vision 1, and then the horses, the chariots, 1 and 8 correspond. And what are these two visions talking about? The nations, the world. By the way, if you remember, in vision 1, the horses just came to look around and left. Reconnaissance. In vision 8, they're there to judge. So 1 and 8, they talk about the nations, broad view. And then visions 2 and 7 talk about the nation of Israel. And then visions four, uh, 3 and 6 talk about Jerusalem. That's the measuring Jerusalem. Remember the measuring in the hand and the flying scroll? It talks about Jerusalem. And then visions 4 and 5, cleansing the temple of Joshua and the golden lampstand, talks about the temple. So you can see the, the visions are a teaching structure that God is watching over all, but he's even getting closer and coming down to where his people are, and he sees everything. Sometimes it's easy to think of God sitting up in heaven and not really seeing everything you think or do. And he's telling us in his visions, I see every single thing going on with my people. So we close the visions tonight. Next week we'll start looking at the crown of the temple. God giving us some very important details about his dealings with his people through these eight visions. They would have been very much a comfort to God's people after they returned 70 years, going back to the homeland, 50,000 of them, very much a comfort these visions would have been. All right, we'll close there. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to see me afterwards or email me. I'll be glad to answer any questions that you may have. Let's pray together. We'll close. Father, I want to thank you that we learn a lot about you with, through the dealings you have with your people. And God, how you dealt with Israel many times, how you deal with us. And I just pray, Lord, that the sin of materialism will not be something that keeps cropping back up in our own lives and hearts. Lord, may you take it away from us just as you took it out of the land of Israel. God, we thank you that you have everything perfectly in control. Sometimes the world looks out of control, but God, we know, we know that you have everything in total control and we trust you. So, Lord, tonight I just pray that you would teach us, continue to teach us from your word, continue to teach us in the weeks to come from Zechariah. And as we look at, continue on with chapter 6 through 14, God, in the weeks to follow, would you teach us exactly what you want us to know so we can live to be the people you want us to be. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you Sunday.